Okay, great. Can you hear me? Okay, great to see all of you uh, here this morning. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Fathers, we come before you this morning. We really pray that uh, your word will speak powerfully to us today. That as we read uh, the book of Deuteronomy, as we have it preached uh, by myself, that I'll be faithful. But all the more that truly the words of uh, yours in Deuteronomy will come alive for us. That we will be able to bridge the thousands of years between ourselves and your people. And to understand who you are and how we should live before you. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, why am I here today preaching to you? Or another way of asking this question is, why are you here today listening to me? Right? And why should we then spend a few hours uh, during the week looking at this very same passage? And why do we encourage each other to read the Bible, perhaps on a daily basis? Is that the best use of our time? Uh, should we be doing something else? Are we wasting our time? Right? Why should we spend all this time looking at God's Word? Have you ever asked yourself that question? It's a very important question, isn't it? Why do we come to God's Word? Why do we even bother to look at something like uh, the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, which seems so far away from us? I mean, even as we were reading it uh, in verse 1, it's like uh, Suf, Paran, Tophel, Haven, Hazaroth, Zizabah. Do you know all these places? Uh, we don't, isn't it? So why do we bother reading about these things? Well, I think that as we look at today's passage, it will be very clear why actually looking at the Bible, hearing the Bible preached to us, going to Bible study, doing a quiet time, is actually the most important use of your time. Now today's passage begins, uh, I'm going to be having a few slides to orientate ourselves to where we are in the Bible, but today's passage begins with real places in a real time in Israel's history. And in verse 1, you'll need your Bibles. Uh, Bibles are very important in church. Remember, we're just saying why we're looking at God's Word. So these are the words in verse 1. Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan, that is, in the Arabah, opposite Suth, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. Verse 2. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. Now, for many of us, and for most of us actually, we have no idea at all where these places are. But if you look at this map up here on the slide, for those of you in the cry room, I hope you can see it. Um, basically, the, the main point that is being made here is that when the Israelites travel from Egypt down to Mount Sinai, which actually in this passage is called Horeb, Horeb is the other name for Mount Sinai, when they travel from Egypt all the way to Mount Sinai, Horeb, we know that it took about three months Three months, okay? And it says here in verse 2 that it takes 11 days to go from Horeb or Mount Sinai all the way to Kadesh Barnea through Izon Geber. But the point that is being made here as you look at this passage is that in verse 3 it says a very surprising thing, isn't it? It says that in the 40th year, in the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. But where were they at this time? They were here, to the east of the Jordan, outside the Promised Land. Now something wrong has happened, isn't it? Because it's taken three months to go from Egypt to Mount Sinai, and it should take 11 days to go to Kadesh Barnea. But then it's been 40 years, and they're still outside the Promised Land. Now, I'm not sure about you, but that's a very, very big delay, isn't it? It's like driving from Singapore to KL, and usually only takes me about four or five hours driving within the speed limit. Right? 
but within seven days, I have yet to reach my destination. Right? It's like me trying to come to church on a Sunday morning. It usually takes me about, um, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes. Okay? If I'm not distracted by my children and having a car accident. Right? Then I should be able to come here within 25 minutes. But at the rate that they are going, it would be Monday morning and I still haven't reached church yet. Okay, now, I think the point that's being made right at the very beginning here for those people who are familiar with geography is that why has it taken them so long to get here when it only takes 11 days to go up to the north? Now, the second thing that we're supposed to notice here also as we read this passage with, with eyes of the Jews who understand what's being said here is in verse 1. It said, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan. That means they're still in the desert. Now, the promised land that God had promised the Jews was not the desert. Okay? Now, if anybody ever says to you, this is your promised land, right? And there's a desert. There's something wrong there, isn't it? Because the picture of a promised land is somewhere filled with vegetation, water, greenery, a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, so if you look at this map, Okay, this is a... Next slide, Alan. Yep. If you look at this map, you, this is a typology, uh, geographical... I don't know, someone help me. So it's like, it shows all the landscape of the... Uh, landscape map. Like, okay, so all the brown areas, all the desert area, okay? And all the green areas are all the fertile, watered areas. And what is being said here in verse 1 is that they are here. East. East is this way, right? East of the Jordan River, which is here. Okay, they're here in the desert. And it says that they're in the desert east of the Jordan. And the point that's being made in this introduction, right at the very beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, is two things, isn't it? It's been 40 years and they're still in the desert. It's been 40 years and they haven't entered the promised land. And we know that as we were listening to June read for us, Deuteronomy, that now they're getting ready to enter the promised land. But I wonder what sort of mindset what sort of mindset God's people would have had. And uh, when I think about it, I think, well, if I were the Jew trying to go into the promised land, I would have a very depressed mindset. I would have a loser mentality, isn't it? Because when I look at the ground under my feet, what do I see? I don't see grass, I don't see water, I don't see the promised land, but what do I see? I see the desert. Right? In verse 19 of chapter 1, it describes the desert as a vast and dreadful place. To be in the desert means that they have yet to enter the promised land. It means that they are still refugees. And we must remember that the people for whom Deuteronomy is being spoken to, the audience of Deuteronomy, these people are the next generation. They have been refugees, not for one year, not for two years, not for ten years, but they have been refugees for 40 years. Right? And now... God is saying, go into the promised land. He's sort of thinking, well, we've been refugees for 40 years. We're kind of a hopeless situation, right? Can we actually go into the promised land? But not only that, these people will remember that 40 years, their parents tried to enter the promised land. And what happened to them? They got their butt kicked, right? Okay, they got smashed. Six love, six love, six love. They tried to enter the promised land. They didn't even get in. In the very first time they tried to get in, they got completely annihilated. And now, this is where the context, the background of Deuteronomy is. They're about to enter the promised land and Moses is telling these people, let's go in guys, what should we do? What should he say to them? Should he be like, uh, you know, 
like one of those war movies. Right, where he says, okay, let's go guys. You're bigger, you're stronger, you've got more military technology. We can beat them. Let's go. No. When we look at Deuteronomy, Moses does a very interesting thing, isn't it? He preaches to them. He gives them God's word, isn't it? In fact, Deuteronomy is actually three very, very long sermons. Okay? And here, as you can see, he, he actually speaks to them what God said 40 years ago. Now, it's a very strange thing, isn't it? Why would Moses remind them of what God said 40 years ago? It's like me, right? Today we are in 2010, and I say to you, okay, uh, let me remind you what someone said to you in 1970. And we say, well, what, someone, what someone said to my parents in 1970 got to do with me today, isn't it? That was 1970. Where is the word for me today? But that's what Moses does. He reminds them of what God said to his their forefathers, their fathers, in a different place at Mount Sinai, in 40 years prior to hence. Now, why does Moses do that? How is this actually going to encourage them to enter into the promised land? Well, the answer is in verse 6, isn't it? In verse 6, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain, break camp, and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring uh, peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites, to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I've given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore He would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Now, the amazing thing here, I want you to pay attention to verse 6. Again, it's very important to concentrate on God's word. Look at what Moses said. The Lord God said to, to us, isn't it? He doesn't say, the Lord God said to your forefathers. He says, the Lord God said to us. Now, what an amazing thing, because they were not there in Mount Sinai. right? They were not there uh, when uh, God spoke to them in the mountain. Right? So, the next slide. Right? So, here they are, here just about to enter the promised land, and Moses said, God spoke to you at Mount Sinai. But that's not possible, right? Because they were, they were, many of them were not born when God spoke to them at Mount Sinai. Many of them maybe were just, at the most, just babies when God spoke to their fathers at Mount Sinai. But look at what he says. He said, the Lord our God said to us, and I think what God is saying here is a very important principle. And if you take anything away from today's sermon, I think this is it, isn't it? It is, in God's eyes, when He speaks to the first people, the first generation, when Moses or someone else speaks and preaches to them of that message, God is at the same time preaching to the very next generation. I'll repeat that again. When God speaks to the first generation of Mount Sinai, when Moses preaches to them again, Moses is saying, you participate and what happened at Mount Sinai. The promises of God still resonate with you at Mount Sinai. So this is a picture of it, right? Next slide. Okay, so if you can think of it this way, it's as if God spoke, right? Okay, this is God, the, the crown, and He speaks, right? This side, the bu bubble is there. And He speaks to the first generation in Mount Sinai. And Moses preaches to the next generation. He says, look, you were there together with your forefathers when you heard the promises of God. When you heard God speak at Mount Sinai. 
because you are incorporated into the people of God. And that's why it's so important to listen to God's Word. Because God's Word doesn't just apply to one generation, but applies to all generations of God's people. And I think that it's the same principle for us as Christians. See, why do we come to God's Word? Why do we study Deuteronomy? Because when we study Deuteronomy, God doesn't just speak to the people in Mount Sinai or east of the Jordan. He is also speaking to us as His people. Obviously, we're different now because we are Christians and we are now within the context of Christ, but the principles are still the same. God still speaks to us as if we are Mount Sinai. Now look at this passage here, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Right? Because this principle is exactly what is being spoken of here, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And it says, uh, Paul says to the Corinthian church, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea, that they all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, that they ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. You, you notice the language that Paul uses here? That these are our spiritual forefathers and the things that they did were examples for us. Right? So when God speaks to the people of Mount Sinai, when Moses then tells these things to the, the, for, the next generation east of the Jordan, when we read about it, these are actually lessons for us. These are God's character being revealed to our spiritual forefathers. And I think that that's why coming to God's Word is the most important thing that we can do. You know, one of the problems today is that we, we often struggle in terms of finding out how do we meet God? Uh, how do I actually know what God is like? How do I know uh, if God loves me? How do I meet with God? Well, I think if you look at the Bible, the Bible says that we meet with God where? When we open up the Bible, isn't it? This is the way God has chosen to reveal Himself to us. When we read God speaking to our spiritual forefathers, it is as if He is speaking to us today. That is the way that God has said that we meet Him. You see, when you think of the next slide, this is the way that uh, the, the principle of the Bible is in it, that as we read God's Word or what He has done in history for us, we actually meet God that way. And the promises that flow through the people of the Old Testament flow to us. Okay, next slide. You see, when the people were there, uh, the next generation were there, Moses would say, okay guys, let's go back to Mount Sinai and listen to God again. And then when you've all got a second uh, encounter with God, we can all make the journey up 11 days again and we can take the promised land. See, that's not the way it works. You see, when we meet God, it's not like uh, meeting your MP in the monthly grassroots meeting, you see, right? At the void deck, uh, month after month. No, it doesn't work that way. Okay, the way it works is, God speaks once and for all, and we participate, and we hear, and we listen by reading about what God said during that meeting. And that's why Deuteronomy, the meaning of the word, have you ever asked, so what is the meaning of Deuteronomy? Uh, Deuteronomy actually means 
the second law. Deutero means to, nomos means law, the second law. And it's actually Moses repeating the law, it's a repetition of the law. But actually, the, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, the book of Deuteronomy is not called Deuteronomy, it's actually called, these are the words. These are the words. See, these are the words by which God communicated to his people, which are to be read generation after generation after generation. See, we do not meet God uh, when we uh, go to church. Right? Some, some people feel, okay, we meet God when we go to church and maybe we take communion. That's the way we meet God. Uh, some people feel, oh, maybe we meet God when we sing a lot of songs and we really feel the presence of God. Or maybe we meet God when we see something supernatural being done, someone being healed, or a, a word of prophecy, or someone speaking in tongues. That's how we meet God. No, the Bible actually says, we meet God through His Word. And in fact, one speaker said this really shocking thing. He says that when we read, say, Deuteronomy, what happened at Mount Sinai, what happened east of the Jordan, should be as real to us as eating breakfast this morning. Can you imagine that? When we read the Bible, what happened at Mount Sinai, what happens at east of the Jordan, should be as real to us as eating breakfast this morning. And I think that's, that should be true, isn't it? Because when we read God's Word, when Moses preaches to the people east of the Jordan, it is supposed to be real for them. These are real things which really happen. And God speaks to us to these real events. And that is what Moses is doing. Now, as we move to the second half of this section, right? what does Moses tell them about God and God's words to encourage them to go into the promised land? Okay, so next slide. Right? Next slide again, Alan, sorry. Okay, what does he say? Oh, no, sorry, no, don't worry about this one. Okay, that's too early. Okay? Now, don't forget, they are the wrong side of the promised land. They're about to go in, right? So what will Moses say that will encourage these people to go into the promised land? Well, look at verse 5. Verse 5, right? East of the Jordan in the territory of Moses, uh, not territory of Moses, territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law. And you sort of think that Moses would talk about the Ten Commandments. That maybe Moses would talk about the ceremonial law. Because that's what it says, he will expound the law. Maybe he's going to talk about the sacrificial law. But he doesn't talk about the law at all, isn't it? What he talks about is the character of God who gives the law. The personality of God. The context in which God gives the law. And there are two main things that we learn about this God. Two main things which should really encourage the Jews and should really encourage us. I think the first thing that we see in the first section uh, is what is titled here the appointment of leaders, right? In my subtitle in my Bible. And it speaks about how in Mount Sinai, the people had become a very large people. It's almost like a civil service manual, right? The appointing of judges, what you should do, right? In terms of resolving disputes. And he says that in verse 9, right? At that time, at that time in Mount Sinai, I said to you, again to you, right? Not to your fathers. I said to you, you are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your number so that today you are as many as the stars in the sky. Right? 
May the Lord, the God of our, your fathers, increase you a thousand times and bless you as His promise. But how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? Now here, Moses is not saying, guys, you're too heavy for me. Right? Guys, I'm having a big wind session, right? Guys, I'm having a bit this this moaning and complaining session. No, he's actually saying, at Mount Sinai, the people had become so big, you could see that God was keeping his promises to Abraham. See, look what it says there. It says there in verse 10, The Lord your God has increased your number so that today you are as many as the stars in the sky. Now, he didn't just uh, pick this phrase, as many as the stars in the sky, as a convenient phrase, as a throwaway line, as a flowery language. Right? It's like, why didn't he just say, you are many people? Uh? Why as many as the stars in the sky? Right? It's like, ah, you know, too much. Uh, his English is too powerful, right? But he's actually looking back here in Genesis chapter 22, which is up here. And remember, in Genesis chapter 22, God had promised their descendant Abraham that they would be as many as, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And this whole section here is that Moses is saying, look guys, don't forget at Mount Sinai, God kept his promise. Even though you were in Egypt, even though you were in slavery, by the time you came out, you were as numerous as the stars in the sky. So much so that you know, Moses had to appoint judges and leaders and tribal officials to look after you. Right? So, that's what he's saying here. God, the God who gives the law is a promise-keeping God. Okay, next slide. Okay, so at this point in time, we learn that God had kept his promise that there was numerous as the stars in the sky. Next, the passage then moves on to Kadesh, Barnea. In the next section, in verse 19, it says there that they are now at Kadesh Barnea, right? And they send spies out into the land. And uh, next slide. Don't forget, see, Kadesh Barnea is still in the desert. So they send spies out into the good land, the promised land. And look at what it says there when the spies come back. In verse, um, verse 25. Verse 25. Look at what it says there about the report of the spies. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Now, the important thing that we're meant to see here is that God, again, keeps His promise. God had promised that the good land would be full of milk and honey. Okay, obviously, there's no milk and honey, but it's still a very, very good land, isn't it? You see, recently, maybe you read the newspapers and you've been reading newspapers and, uh, you know, CASE? CASE is the Consumer Affairs Association of Singapore. And what is the number one complaint against uh, people in Singapore? Huh? Who? Spas, spas. Yeah, okay, spas. But recently also, a lot of people complained against timeshare, right? And travel agents, right? Where... You know, the travel agent or your timeshare say, oh, you know, this is a beautiful place, this holiday, the beach is white, the water is crystal, you know, and then you go there, it's a beautiful resort, and then you go there and you find like actually the sand is like, like, you know, mud, and then the water is like, you know, sewage water, 
And this beautiful villa that you're supposed to stay in is actually you know, terrible, right? And people want their money back. But God is not like that. See, when God had promised the good land, the spies come back and say, yes, it is good, it is very good. You don't want your money back. This is the place we should go. So by the middle section, Moses is saying, look, if you stick with God, what should you get? God is taking you out of Egypt. God has made you grow as numerous as the stars in the sky. God has brought you to the good land. In fact, if you stick with God, you should, have, you should be now in the promised land, right? You should be in the promised land for the last 40 years. You should have been living in HDB flats. You should be living in condominiums, right? Maybe even building casinos. No, okay, except the last part, right? Okay, so, you know, he's saying, look, if you only had stuck with God, your parents had stuck with God, it would have been alright. Because God brought you out of Egypt. God made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. God brought you to good land. But what was the mistake of your parents? What did they, your parents do wrong? They didn't stick with God, isn't it? Because in the last section, it shows that instead of sticking with God, they decided to do things their own way. Now, as you look at the, the, the passage, it's a really strange thing what their parents do. Because when God tells them to go, they don't go. When God says don't go, they decide to go, isn't it? You see, whatever happens, you must always stick with God, isn't it? Because what makes Israel successful? It is the presence of God. When God is not there, there is no success. And that's the key point, isn't it? If you look at verse 30, look at verse 30 with me. It said, The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. So, you must go, isn't it? But in verse 32, in spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. So God says, go, 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 right? Green light, time to go. And they say, no, I don't think we'll go yet. God, we're not really sure, you know. The walls are so big, the people are so big, right? We won't go. But then the next section, when, uh, when they realized they made a mistake, they said, uh, God says, don't go, right? It says there in verse 42, verse 42, the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up and fight because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command and your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country and there they were slaughtered. See, it's such a paradox. The whole success of God's people is to stick with God. But they didn't stick with God. God said go, they said don't go. God said don't go, they said go. But it's much worse than that, isn't it? It's much worse than that. Because in verse 26, they grumbled against God. Not only did they not go, but they distrusted and turned against God. Look at what they say in verse 27. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So He brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Now, I think that's a terrible thing to say against God, isn't it? It's a terrible thing to say against God because God has saved these people out of Egypt 
He had provided for them in the desert. He had multiplied them in spite of all odds. He had brought them to the good land. And they said that God hates us. God has brought us here to destroy us. But God has not brought them there to destroy them. In fact, if you look at verse 31, it says that the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. Now, the picture here is not of a father holding a toddler's hands. Okay, you know a father holding a toddler's hands and you walk around? Okay? But of a father carrying a, a baby. A baby cannot defend itself. A baby can't even feed itself, right? And here, God had said that he'd been carrying God's people as a baby all the way from Egypt, all the way to Mount Sinai, all the way east to, to Kadesh Barnea, all the way to bring it into the Promised Land. And what had the people said? The people said, you hate me. You only brought me here to kill me. Now as a parent, uh, you know, I've raised up kids, I've held my children, I've fed them, I've clothed them, I've put them to school. Now, imagine it when, when you grow up, when your children grow up <clears throat> and they say to you, you hate me, you've only raised me to destroy me. I think that would be a really terrible thing. Is I would feel terribly hurt if my children ever said that to me. That you know, that you've actually given them everything, but they actually turn around and say, oh, you never really loved me, but you've hated me all this time, and you've only raised me up, only to destroy me. But imagine how God felt when His people, which He chose, who were nobodies, to save them, to build them up, to give them these great promises, turned against God and said, you only hate me, You've brought me out to destroy me. Well, it's no wonder that uh, the first generation could not enter the promised land. And I think that's a lesson for ourselves as it is a lesson for those people on the east of the promised land. Because we can look back and we say, you know, those people, those people at Mount Sinai, those first generation, they are so ungrateful to God. But we can be ungrateful to God too. They are so distrustful of God, but we can be distrustful as well. We, you know, these people, how can they be like that? How can they see God at Mount Sinai, hear God and be given the Ten Commandments and see the manna and see the cloud in the day and the fire at night and still turn against God? But we can be like that too, isn't it? You see, when we meet hard times, when circumstances seem difficult, we can be like the Israelites and say, whoa, you know, the walls of the city are so big and the people there are giants. But they forget that actually God is bigger than any person and stronger than any wall. But sometimes in our own lives, we encounter situations which seem so difficult and we forget that God is greater than any of those situations. That if we just have to stick with God, we have to trust trust God. But the problem for us, just as it was for the Israelites then, is that we look at the circumstances and we feel the circumstances overwhelm our faith in God. See, why is the book of Deuteronomy such a wonderful book? Because the book of Deuteronomy is all about trusting and obeying God. In the New Testament, uh, the most memorable uses of the, of the Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy passages all have to do with trusting and giving everything to God. In Jesus' time, one of the, uh, the teachers of the law came up to Jesus and he asked Jesus, what is the law above all laws? What should I follow in terms of 
my life. Right? What should I, of all the laws that we have, what is the most important law? And what did Jesus do? Can you slide here? Jesus quoted Deuteronomy, isn't it? He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and of all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, next slide. When Jesus was tempted in the desert, again he looked at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and Deuteronomy chapter 6. The, the devil, Satan, wanted him to live life without God. And every time Jesus turned back to Deuteronomy, he said, No, I must trust God and I must obey God. He says, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, I must only trust and obey and live under God's rules, isn't it? The devil took him to a high place, right? And asked him to throw himself off. And Jesus said, What? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Jesus was tempted. And he said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, what is Deuteronomy fundamentally about? Deuteronomy fundamentally is about trusting God and obeying God and sticking with God even when the circumstances, even when Satan is calling you to despair and to turn away from God. Remember last week we sang this song, Trust and Obey? Uh, I thought it was a wonderful song and I thought it really fits uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, isn't it? Because let me read to you uh, what the lyrics are, just part of it. It says, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. What he says, we will do. Where he sends, we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. And I think that that's the message of Moses when he speaks to the people as they choose to enter the promised land once again. They are scared, they're terrified, they've been in the desert for 40 years. And he says to them, remember God. God, if, you, if God is with you, you will succeed. Just trust and obey. Now I wonder whether we feel the same way. Now when you get sick, maybe other people in your family get sick. Maybe you feel at the end of your line. Maybe you face disappointments. Maybe you get hurt. And you ask yourself, where is God? How can I trust God? How do I know God loves me? Well, we need to come back to God's Word, isn't it? Because it was God's Word that strengthened the next generation to go into the promised land, to take the promised land that God is giving them. And it's that same Word that speaks to us today that allows us to participate in the meeting with God and tells us God is a faithful God. And He is looking after us and watching over us even when the circumstances are not good. So as we come to the end of uh, today's passage, basically it's a very straightforward passage, isn't it? It's just an introduction of where they are and how bad the situation is. Then it moves on to how God kept His promises and He does continue to keep His promises. And, and the lesson of how the previous generation failed to stick with God and failed to trust those promises. And God is still the same, isn't it? Does He change? Does God change? No, He's still the same. His character is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. But the question is, do we change? Do we keep trusting in God and relying on this God who acts for His people in history? Or do we turn our back against Him and say, you know, God, you don't really love us. God, you hate us. You just 
You just brought me here to destroy us. Do we say those things in our heart? Well, that's not the right thing to say, isn't it? We should not grumble against God. We should turn to God and trust in Him. In conclusion, I, I heard this very funny story. And it's a true story about this bishop in Uganda called uh, Benzia Ugambo. That's his real name, uh, Benzia Ugambo. And apparently there were 62 people who wanted to become Christians in the church in, um, in Uganda. But they failed to answer these simple questions on the Bible. So this uh, bishop, Benzia Ugambo, said, Come back again later when you've read the Bible, right? And he said that he will not promote Christianity based on ignorance. And he said that these people are not serious. And they're not serious. They are liability to the church. Those are his exact words. And I think that God will agree, isn't it? Because unless you meet God in His Word and know Him for who He really is, then you are not a serious Christian. Your faith will be easily tossed and blown about to the circumstances of life. But we must keep coming back to His Word to keep meeting with God and to know God as He truly is, then we will stick with God through thick and thin. We will not turn our back against God, but we will trust and obey no matter what happens. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we come before You, help us to realize that Your words to those people on the outside of the promised land, east of the Jordan desert. They should speak to us as powerfully today as we read Deuteronomy, as if we were there, as if it happened to us this morning. And that we should see that you are still the same today as you were then, that you keep your promises to your people. Just as you kept your promises to the first generation who left Egypt. That we may not make the same mistake of grumbling against you, of doubting you, of turning against you, of looking at circumstances and letting them overwhelm us. But help us instead to always trust and obey, to stick with you thick and thin, and not to be doubtful and disappointed. And help us to keep coming back to your word again and again and again, so that we may be refreshed in our faith and strengthened in our doubt. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.